This session of Treadcast is supported by listeners like you, our patrons at patreon.com. For more information on how to join the team and add your support, go to patreon.com forward slash treadcast and click on become a patron. There you can give monthly support at $1 a month all the way up to $10 per month. We depend on you for all you give, so thank you and enjoy the show. I know I promised you never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. Oh, regret this, love. I'm a wonderful person. Hello and welcome to the very first Treadcast, an audio arm of treadweary.com that stems from years of trying to be something we are not, uh, both within the church and without. And we're looking for the gospel in everyday life. We explore the Bible and we try to apply it to the world around us. My name is Carlton Smee. I am the host of this podcast. And Treadwary was something I came up with a long time ago. It was a weird name that I sort of put together of, of treading, of, of walking, of, of going in a specific way and then weary being actually tired or, or showing tiredness. So tread weary, being tired of going in a particular direction. And part of that comes from my upbringing. I, I came out of the Nazarene church, which I still love to this day. My dad is a pastor in that church. I'm a Lutheran now. But uh, it, it came out of this this feeling of never being enough, always, always finding something wrong that I would need to fix in myself and being upset that I couldn't fix it. <laughs> I, I, I would not want to do something and I would do it anyways. It, it, it sort of is this, is this echo of Paul in Romans 7 where he says, the thing I don't want to do, I do, and the thing I want to do, I don't do. Like a poor marksman, you keep missing the target. And so I, I always joke with folks that I basically got saved uh, by becoming a Lutheran, a very specific kind of Lutheran, the kind that we tend to term uh, radical Lutheran, but not in the radical sense of politics, but in the radical sense of the gospel. The gospel being Jesus Christ looking you in the face and saying, I forgive you all your sin. That's it. We always want to make sin something small. We don't, we don't want to think of it as something huge because we'll, we'll throw around terms like, well, everyone's a sinner. Oh, don't judge me those sorts of things. But the reality is is that we sin every day, all the time, against various different people, whether it be myself against my wife or my kids or them towards me or my parishioners towards me or I towards my parishioners or, God forbid, we we watch uh, politics in any way, shape, or form. Probably most of us have sinned. We're all damaged. So I want you all to stop crying. My, my hope is, is that I'm not going to want to sit here and talk about politics. I'm not wanting to talk about policy. What I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting to dig into the scriptures, and you can possibly consider this coming back to catechism class, but catechism in, the cl- in class that 
I like to teach, not the catechism class that you probably grew up with in Lutheran church or Anglican church or Catholic church where you're just told to regurgitate something. This is a place for us to actually dig into some things. And so where I'm wanting to go over these next few weeks is I'm wanting to explore this this issue of worship. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why, but the biggest reason why for me is because worship is at the heart of everything. We, we, can, we can go throughout different places in Scripture, and we will, taking a look at these principles behind worship and how it actually connects to the understanding of our catechism, the understanding of our beliefs, the understanding of what it is we believe, why we believe it, and why it matters towards our worship, our worship being everything from attending worship services on a Sunday morning, being there for the divine service, or our own personal prayer time, our, our time of reading the scriptures. All those things are worship. These things in which we try to turn ourselves towards God, towards what he has to say, ha- having our ears opened by the Spirit to hear, maybe having our tongues loosened by the Spirit in order to speak uh, in our prayers or, or to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the salvation of sinners, to the world in some way, shape, or form. That is our goal, and, and that is my hope of what it is that, that we will be doing here together. And so with that, let us take a moment to pray, and then we will open up the Word as we begin the study of worship and how worship connects with things everywhere from our, uh, our Scripture readings to our catechism to everything else. So please uh, join with me as we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for another day to gather around your word, to gather together in prayer and devotion and worship. We would ask that you would guide our hearts and our minds as we dig into what it is that you have to say to us. Help us to long for your word, to long for your revelation, to see it done. In your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Well, where we are going to start is where the Bible starts when it comes to worship. Uh, You can open your Bibles all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. That's on the left side of the Bible, just your warning, left side of the book. Actually, the very first chapter of the Old Testament. Uh, There's two Testaments, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Testament being a collection of the writings that the church has carried on from the Jewish tradition that the church came out of. Uh, The New Testament being the, the proclamation of who this Christ is, this Messiah that was proclaimed all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, But we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, and specifically in Genesis 1-1. Most of us all know this text, or at least we should. It's going to be the memory verse for for our Echo kids, for for our kids on on our second Wednesday night of the month over at First Lutheran Church in Akeley, Minnesota. Um, It's going to be their memory verse, basically, for the month of September. And we're just going to do uh, John or do Genesis chapter one, verse one, and we'll go from there. Okay. So it reads the, as follows: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Period. Mic drop. Now, many of you might be saying, "Well, Pastor, what the heck does this have to do with worship?" Well, I'm glad you asked. Worship is a result of creation. Worship is the giving back of of worth towards something. Uh, 
You're, you're finding something worthy of awe. You're finding, finding something even just worthy of your time. And so, so many of us worship many different things where we replace our time, where we place our affection, where we place our, our love or our, our devotion. And so it's, it's part of the reason why the majority of time in the Old Testament and even portions of the New Testament, if you read Acts and First and Second Corinthians and other places, idolatry, the replacing of God with something else, is the big sin that is proclaimed against by the prophets, uh, by the apostles, by other preachers. Worship is a result of creation because in our worship, we begin where God begins. Quite literally, in the Hebrew, uh, when, when we deal with Genesis 1-1, basically what the writer is saying is to begin with. Before we go anywhere else, before we do anything else, before we talk about anything else, God created the heavens and the earth. That is where it starts. And what we find is that that's also where we start when we talk about our creed. When we talk about the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, I'll do the Apostles' Creed because uh, that is what my kids are going to be studying here in Confirmation, my students. Uh, we actually have Confirmation tonight as I'm, I'm recording this. Um, but we begin with, I believe in the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Creator. We have it there. Almighty is something completely different. We won't worry about that right now. But creator, uh, calling God the creator of things, says by just making that statement, that creedal statement, I am not God, <laughs> saying that I had to be created. Uh, creation then becomes the whole crux of the story of God with you and you with God. Creation becoming the whole crux of your life as you go through this world, as you go through what it is that you are doing, creation becomes the driving force of everything for you because it begins with God as your creator. God deciding one day that the world needed a Larry, the world needed a Bob, the world needed a Carrie, the world needed a Jackie, the world needed a Peg or a Marilyn or a Phyllis, or, or uh, I'm just naming all the names of folks in, in my congregations that, uh, uh, that, that we have many of. Um, <laughs> but God said, this is going to be of necessity. We, we need, I, I'm going to do this. And so what ends up happening is that if we leave out creation from the scope of our worship, if we leave creation off the table because we get worried about when we start talking about creation, we're going to go the Ken Ham uh, six-day, 24-hour day, uh, uh, Noah's Ark in the middle of West Virginia or Kentucky or wherever the heck it is, uh, that, that we're going to go that route. But that is not the case. That is not the case. Uh, is that possible? Yes, that is definitely possible. Uh, did God do it in twenty-four, in six twenty-four-hour days? I don't know. The, it, whatever. Sure, it. That is not the issue for me. The issue begins and ends with in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and from that understanding of God as Creator, then my worship of that God is impacted by the fact that I believe that without that God, my existence would not 
have happened. That my, my very life rests in the palms of the hands of the Lord Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And so creation becomes the whole crux of our life with God. It becomes the whole crux of the gospel. It becomes the focus of, of everything that we do within Christ. Because if, if we don't believe that creation is the, the main aspect of God's work in and among us, um, as the focus of our worship— as the focus of where our eyes, our minds, our hearts, our ears, our tongues get get placed, then we lose the cross. Because what we lose within the cross, what we lose within what God is doing for us in Jesus is that God is doing a creative work. He's doing a work in which uh, creation is taking place, re-creation is, is taking place. Uh, most of us hear uh, this text from Romans 6 at funerals. Uh, being a Lutheran, we are a liturgical church, and I, and I love using uh, the, the book to do funerals because ritual is important, having those same words heard all the time. But what we hear is, or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Where there is death and resurrection, which is what this text is talking about, where, where someone dies and is reborn, is creation or recreation happening. And within that, then, our, all our worship, without creation being part of it, just I don't know what it is. Without creation being part of the work that God is doing in us, in Jesus Christ, then we lose the whole scope of the plan of God in and amongst us and in and amongst our neighbors, working through the scriptures, all of that stuff. You, you, you completely lose the understanding of Jesus as he's talking in John 3. Where, where he's speaking with Nicodemus, and that's where he says, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot, be, he cannot see the, the kingdom of God. And I'm, and I'm not wanting to get into this Bible thumper, have you been born again? Have you accepted Jesus into your heart? I don't, I don't care about that. What I'm, what I'm reading is what the scriptures say. And what the scriptures say is that what, what, what Jesus brings to us is he says that you need to be born again, or, or the Greek actually can mean born from above, meaning that your birth and your death, but we're just going to deal with your birth, the, the creation aspect of this, lies in the hands of the creator. And so even your recreation, your salvation, your redemption, the fact that Jesus quite often talks about, uh, you have to be ready to die. If you want to if you are going to follow after me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. The, the story of the Christian being that one of death and resurrection. And so it is that in death, we die, we get killed, but then in Jesus Christ, we are reborn in this life. It, it's, it's why Jesus talks about, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. It's why in John 4, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he talks about how God has come to make worshipers. And those worshipers are going to worship God in spirit and in truth. That spirit 
and that truth are connected to the creative work of God in us to make those worshipers, quite literally creating worshipers. And the struggle with us around creation is that creation is nothing that we can do. Creation is not this constructive act in which we take some Lincoln logs and we build something. It's not this constructive act in the sense that we use Legos. It's not the building up of people. What, What it is, is the taking of nothing and making something out of it. Taking dead, dried up bones and giving them life, as the story from Ezekiel gives to us taking non-worshippers and making worshippers. Where worship is not taking place, then God creates that. Do you see what I'm talking about here? How it comes back to God being the creator of the heavens and the earth, so that even my worship, the words that I have to say to God, how I come to God in my worship, is all tied completely and absolutely to God's creative work in me all the time, from the very beginning from when I took my first breath until the day I die. Anything I do as far as worship and service are based on what God does. And see, the struggle is, and and this is one of the big struggles that we have in our society, this is one of the big struggles that we have in the culture that we have today, is that we have lost this understanding of creation Because if we get rid of this understanding of creation, we can get rid of the necessity for having the why of something. Because when you take creation out of it, when you take God specifically out of it, what you're able to do then is you're able to set creation aside and you can just deal with the how of something coming along. And when we deal with the how of something, how something works, how something was done, and that becomes our obsession whether you're dealing with six-day creation, evolution, Big Bang, whatever you want to talk about. We get obsessed with the how, we lose the why, and we stop worrying about the, uh, the creative act of a being whose desire is to make worshipers, to make you as one of his own. And we instead get obsessed with how that creator did this. Okay? It's, it's sort of like uh, when you see a great magician do a trick, and you're absolutely amazed. But then, like Penn and Teller or the mystery magician or, or some of the other magicians that do take the time to then show you how they did the trick, then all the beauty and all the wonder and all the amazement of what they just did gets lost. It loses all its luster of what it was that this... Uh, this this magician did. I was on Facebook the other day, interview that Ricky Gervais did on the Stephen Colbert show. And Stephen Colbert, being a devout Catholic, was wanting to argue with Ricky Gervais, being a devout agnostic atheist, uh, about creation, about God. And Stephen Colbert asks him, well, why is there something and not nothing? And Ricky Gervais says, well, that's that's a dumb argument. What's, what's, what, what, why does that matter? He says, well, why is there something and not nothing? There there could just be nothing. So why is there something and not nothing? And Ricky Gervais said, well, I don't care about the why. That's a pointless question. I care about the how. But without the why, we have no purpose. Because if we just obsess about the how, if we just obsess with about how God created, so we get into the six-day creationist stuff, or we get into how the Big Bang happened, and we get obsessed with trying to make this God particle and the 
in you know a, a mile under the earth in the Swiss Alps or, or whatever it might be. We get obsessed with the how and we lose the why. Then there's no point in why something happened. It's just, well, we just want to know how, how it did it instead of enjoying the fact that it's happened, instead of enjoying the fact that somebody actually decided to do this. Because with creation, the amazing thing is, is that our worship then gets pointed to someone who decided on you, made a decision about you, which is quite literally the gospel. The gospel being that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth to make a decision about you for the sake of your freedom, for the sake of your redemption, for the sake of your salvation from sin, death, and the devil. That he decided on that, even without your permission. That's the crazy thing. We, we don't like to sit there and read some of the texts from Christ about the fact that he actually paints himself as a thief, one who comes to steal, <laughs> to break into your life and, and rob you of things like worrying about the how. Because when we get obsessed with the how and we lose the why, of something. Yeah. Losing the why of, well, why did God create when he just didn't need to? Or we throw God completely out the window and we decide, well, we're going to figure out how using physics, using science, using whatever, although there's a greater number of physicists that are, are believers than not. What ends up happening is it completely leads to one of three things, and it could be more, and, and if Ryan Stout is listening to this, you can always email me, dude, and, and let me know where I went wrong with this. But it basically leads to one of three things. It either leads to utilitarianism, where you decide uh, in some way, shape, or form that it's basically the, the Vulcan idea of the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, as, as Spock says, and in the wrath of Khan, the, this notion that you're going to do what you can about the happiness of the greatest number of people at all times. And so what ends up happening is that it's mob rule practically. And the goal also becomes then happiness, right? <laughs> when, when not all of life is going to be happy. Or you go down the road of hedonism where it just becomes, I'm going to pleasure myself as much as I possibly can. And what ends up happening is that with, with that understanding, you're able to throw creation completely out the window. And when you throw creation completely out the window, then you don't look at another individual as a child of God created by God for, for his pleasure, for, for his glory, for, as Isaiah says, for, for his purposes, for his grace. And instead, you see them as an instrument towards your own pleasure, which dehumanizes them, which goes completely against the gospel. And third is asceticism. Asceticism being this, this, this desire that uh, somehow I need to make myself worthy of creation, that I need to make myself able to be worthy of God's work and mercy, <laughs> which is horrible because you never know when you have made it. You never know when you are going to have hit the mark of what it is that, that God's expectations are of creation. Like a poor marksman, you keep missing the target. And so uh, it's out of asceticism that you end up having the monks and the nuns and others who pray nine times a day and only eat 
a couple of cockroaches and a handful of beans every day and drink as little water as possible and, and live in a, a hovel in the middle of the desert with, with the hopes of being worthy, with the hopes of keeping themselves from enjoying the creation that God has made. And in so doing, in all three of those aspects, if you notice the thing that's missing is worship. Apart from worshiping ourselves, apart from focusing on ourselves, apart from being concerned about ourselves, which is a human thing to do, a sinner thing to do. But what it does is that it denies us of the opportunity for our worship, our worship becoming something completely different than what it is that God has given us in creation, where that if we throw out Genesis 1, then what we lose is worship. What we lose is our praise of this God who holds the very world in the palms of his hands, who holds our very breath in the palms of his hands, as Job says. When we turn our eyes towards the creative works of God, then we are able to better understand the reason why we are called for worship, that we are called for praise, that we are called to give thanks, but that we are also called to ask for mercy, because if one is able to create out of nothing, then one is able to make me nothing one day too. And that's not a fun, <laughs> that's not a fun thought to have. Well, our next look is going to be, uh, of course, we, we started with the creed uh, in, in looking at creation. We're going to jump through Genesis and, and go to Exodus, and we're going to take a look at the uh, Ten Commandments, the preamble of the Ten Commandments, and why the Ten Commandments have something to do with our worship. If you notice, there's a catechism theme to this. So please join us. But with that, I pray God's blessings be upon you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Thank you.